economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, and also Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research, and finally, my fellow producer and graduate assistant, Luke Graham. All right. Well, loan forgiveness has been a topic. Actually, we've, we've talked about loan forgiveness. This just entered my mind before we started this, that we talked with the guy about maybe forgiving all loans, not just student loans. But uh, today we're going to focus in on, on student loans. But we did do a previous podcast at least a year ago with somebody thinking the Bible tells us to forgive all loans with the seven-year and the 50, 49th year jubilee. That was kind of a wild podcast. So check out that previous podcast. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes if you want to explore that. But today we wanted to hone in on student loans uh, as a hot topic. And President Biden seems to be pushing for something that direction. And we have some issues with it. I think there's good issues to discuss, maybe right at the top of the list of some sort of uh, fairness and equity issue. But uh, Peter, you want to lead us a little bit more into this? Yeah. So uh as listeners have probably heard, one of the larger talking points now in the Democratic Party is uh, this idea of forgiving student loans. It especially, and kind of unsurprisingly, tends to come from the younger voter base in the Democrat Party. <laughs> a lot of people who kind of have this talking point are the people who tend to position themselves as like socialist or socialist friendly. So Bernie Sanders talks about this, uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Elizabeth Warren is also another major advocate. So these are kind of the people. Joe Biden, for his part, has been kind of wishy-washy about whether he supports loan forgiveness. He kind of says enough to make it seem like he might, while also not totally committing to it. That's how he was during the campaign as well, from my recollection. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But we're now in a, a weird spot where a lot of people feel like Joe Biden owes them student loan forgiveness, especially given things with COVID and stuff like that. But he is not delivering student loan forgiveness which is bothering a lot of people on the left right now. In fact, it's bothering them so much that I think Joe Biden-friendly news sources are sort of trying to basically lie and run an interference for Joe Biden and say he kind of has forgiven student loans. You can find a couple articles like this, what Joe Biden just did to forgive loans. And we could talk about that a little bit and why that story isn't true, basically, that Biden hasn't done anything at all, that Trump didn't do at least. But the big student loan news is right now payments are paused. No interest is accumulating. So the government's paying interest right now on all student loans for everybody in the country, at least until August of next year. This deadline keeps getting pushed back. Apparently, the pandemic is still wreaking havoc on our ability to pay student loans. It's, it seems impossible to me to figure out why. But yeah, I think we could just have a conversation about this. I, I don't have any special knowledge that I don't think you guys don't have or our listeners don't have. I think from a moral standpoint, um, you know, we know that some people do take out loans that turn out to be bad decisions. And I know Biden has suspended like paying interest on those loans, but I do think it would be good for him to go on national television and say, I know some of you made bad decisions and I forgive you. <laughs> Well, and so this this is part of the, the narrative right now is that Biden is paying interest on loans. But I, I would highlight that Trump actually started this policy. This is one of the many pandemic policies that started under President Trump, which is basically that 
because the pandemic happens, the fear was, well, a lot of people are losing their jobs. And this is maybe a legitimate fear, by the way. I, I wouldn't discount this. A lot of people lost their jobs and you can't default on student loans, can't declare bankruptcy. It's not legal, at least federal student loans, which is the majority. We looked before the podcast. It looks about to be 93%-ish of student loans are, are federal student loans. You can't declare bankruptcy. You can't get rid of them. And so the thought was, well, let's just take care of them as the governments for you know the duration of the pandemic. Now, Joe Biden has extended this several times, again, up, to, up until August of this next year. Uh, so right now, people don't have to pay student loans, but the loans aren't forgiven in the sense that there's still a balance there that would have to be paid back. And as soon as this clock ends, if it ends, the payments will resume and the interest will resume. I guess l- let me clarify something that I don't know the answer to. These are loans that were private sector loans that are guaranteed by the feds, or are they truly federal money that was loaned directly to the students? Because it used to be just federally backed, right? So you, you went to, the loan, to, to your bank and got a loan, and, and uh, it was guaranteed by the federal government uh, because you didn't have any credit as an 18-year-old going to college. And so if you default, the bank gets paid back. Does anybody know the answer to that? Yes. It okay. used to be that the federal government before 2010 made around 30% of these the education loans and the others were made by financial institutions. Okay. After July 1st, 2010, 2010 this happened under Obama, the government made a 100%. The government is making the loans. Wow. Yes. They're just private facilitators of the loans. That's So there are companies who manage the loans, but they are ultimately the person- But the money who, was lended to them by the federal government. Yes. Or me, I guess, actually, from my federal tax dollars. Yeah, or, or future taxpayers. <laughs> since our deficits or future, so yes. gigantic. My future grandchildren. I think I want to highlight some of the- one of Wow, the things that, that blows me away. Yeah. Gosh, that's another wrinkle on my- the other thing I've been working on with the uh, Fed buying large fractions of mortgage-backed securities. Um, this actually happened in the um, ele- in the run-up to the election when they were discussing the loan, student loan crisis, um, in quotes. Um, Maxine Waters said, this is like two years ago, we need to have an investigation in these you know, banks making all these predatory student loans. And somebody had to point out to her, actually, um, since 2010, that's actually been us making wow. those loans, right? <laughs> wow. um, so this this isn't usually that well known, but it's, this yeah. is exactly the fact. And I want to point out a couple things that Peter said because I think these are important points. Like one of the reasons to freeze interest on those federal loans is not only that people lost their jobs, and a lot of people lost their jobs, but a lot of people lost their jobs due to government mandates in the pandemic. Yeah. So since the government was the lender, and the government forbid like forbid you from earning money to pay that loan, that seems like it's a fair thing for the government to do, right? To suspend payment on the loans in that case, right? If the government's lending you money and the government's not prevent, uh, not allowing you to work to pay them, then maybe for the duration of the pandemic, however you want to define pandemic, that would be a moral thing to do. But let me make the steel man case too, not only for this particular decision, but for student loans in general. This is like the strongest case for student loans, I think which is that we exist in a world of intergenerational problems. In other words, there are some people who are alive today who will not see all the benefits of educating people. And so if in 40 years you create some super good technology because of your education, 
then some old person might not absorb the benefits of that. It's possible that there could be a positive externality generated by education. And if that's the case, if an older person can't properly predict how much value you're going to generate with your education, they might not be willing to give you a loan for your education because they can't prove that you're going to be able to pay it back in their lifetimes. And so if that's the case, what might be the best thing for government to do is to borrow from future generations' wealth in order to educate today. Because the thought is, well, if we educate today, there's going to be more wealth in the future. And so it's okay to borrow from that wealth with a, with a deficit because we're creating it, basically. It's a sense that, well, if we create this more educated populace, we'll actually have more wealth in the first place. In fact, it might be a win-win. Future generations might be taxed more, but they'll have more wealth because of the education. And so it's this intergenerational problem solution is the strongest justification for federal student loans. Yeah, to build that up, not even that, uh, you know, it's that the people in the future are the ones who benefit from it. Right. Since they're the ones who benefit, they should pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than current people who don't have the incentive to, according to this argument. Now, there's all sorts of problems with this. I think the externality created by education, positive externality in quotes, that's like benefits outside of an exchange. That's what an externality is. I think it's oversold. I think people do absorb most of the benefits of their own education. You know how I know this? People get educations to make more money, right? That's the primary driver. So I think and people... my students, every time I do my capstone, usually somebody does the benefits of a college education. Yeah. And they look at the lifetime stream of income versus, you know, not getting educated. So yeah, there's lots of papers on that. So there's plenty of private benefits. And yeah, I think the external ones are, uh, the external ones can be really big ones though. Like, you know, Elon Musk coming up with the SpaceX and the satellites going everywhere that could really benefit a lot of people. So there's I think there's, it's a market transaction though, on the flip side is if presumably if it's not just given away for free, but I, I, it can generate other external benefits. Yeah. But, but notice real quick, what's going on here with this logic is that the argument is because private actors don't have the right incentive to create this perfect lending and borrowing market, the government should facilitate the creation of this lending borrowing market. But notice they're still a lending and borrowing markets. The argument is not, we should just give everyone a free education because it's going to create a more educated populace. The government's trying to facilitate a market. Kind of Social security is actually a very similar scheme, is how do we facilitate a system by which retired people can borrow from future generations, uh, since retired people created the wealth of the future generations. It's this intergenerational uh, market that the government's trying to create in theory. But student loan forgiveness does away with all this and creates a new idea, which is that we should actually fully subsidize educations, which may be a similar logic, but it's not the same, not the same thing as enabling this market to exist. Let's also note that, and you touched on this earlier, student loans are not loans that can be discharged when you declare bankruptcy, right? Now, if you go all the way back, you will find people saying things like, it's dangerous to have the government getting involved with guaranteeing student loans. It's dangerous to have the government take over loans. And the reason they'll say it's dangerous is they'll say, well, where's this going to stop? Um, is the government going to, you know, not only just guarantee loans, are they going to take them over? Is the government not only going to take them over? Well, can the government then decide that you don't have to pay them back? In what sense do these become loans anymore? And if you utter these 
arguments 10, 15 years ago, you get told you're making a slippery slope argument, right? Just because the government takes this one step does not mean they're going to take the next 20 steps. And I don't know anything other than the actual history of the world, which would convince you that these aren't just slippery slope arguments. They are just the way things always work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once you have the government guaranteeing the loans, uh, why not make them the lender? Once they're the lender, well, since they're responsible for them, what happens if people can't pay them? Well, they're not dischargeable via bankruptcy. So, I mean, this problem just snowballs and I don't see any way for it to stop short of until yeah. it, they ultimately take it over and it's just free education. Yeah. Now let's let's now that we've kind of moved to that step, let's talk about some of the problems with student loan forgiveness. Because we've talked about why student loans might be necessary. Uh, we've talked about uh, and might be again. Well, I'm not conceding that I still don't think student loans are actually government guaranteed student loans are a necessary thing. But let's say they are because the market doesn't properly do things. Let's just assume that that's true or at least it's plausible. Given that that's true, and given that we have student loans, and given that we think it's kind of a bad deal for some people that they can't pay them back and they can't discharge them like normal, there might be an argument for something like student loan forgiveness. Let's, I think after the break, we could talk about why student loan forgiveness is bad, the, the different problems with it. I say the most glaring problems. Yes, yeah, yeah we, got, we got a lot of that ground to cover. All right, we will be back in just a bit. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University has created a student competition on classical liberal ideas. How can we get high school students, high school teachers, and college students engaged in ideas of free enterprise and freedom? Well, philosophy, politics, and economics is a new major here at Ottawa University, and we have created a PPE league where students compete on exactly that. If you or somebody else have students interested in those ideas and joining our competition, contact Russ McCullough today. Okay, so we're back. So Peter, you wanted to launch off into a couple different topics. I think there's lots to cover here. Lots of unfairness. I just think of the first one that comes to mind since I teach personal finance using Dave Ramsey's material is that the students who pay off their student debt quickly, my son I'm very proud of, is marrying someone that had some student debt. We were fortunate enough to have a deal with Ottawa University where he was able to get out debt-free and we just funded it that way. But they have—they are killing it. They both have great jobs. They've paid off fifty thousand dollars in less than a year already. So they are just attacking the debt, Dave Ramsey style. And so all of a sudden, this policy gets passed. It's like, dang! Well, that turned out hindsight twenty twenty to be pretty dumb. I just got screwed. I doubt part of this loan forgiveness thing would like give them their $50,000 back, but maybe it could be if we raise a a high enough flag to say that was unfair, but you had some other issues with fairness, uh, Peter? Yeah, so that's that's definitely one. And it it gets even a a little bit worse than that because now we've created weird incentives surrounding student loans. And so when I was in graduate school, a serious consideration of mine when deciding the amount of student loans to take out was how likely do I think it is that within the next 10 to 20 years, student loans will be forgiven? And I gave it like maybe a 10% probability, which is, you know, not terribly big, but that 10% actually expanded my desire to take out student loans. I probably took out more student loans than I would have otherwise because there is a good chance that it could have gotten forgiven. And so there's a moral hazard associated with the idea of loan forgiveness, that if people know their loans are going to be forgiven or they have a strong belief their loans are going to be forgiven, they're going to take out more loans, right? Uh, and a lot of people are going to spend resources convincing people they need more loans. 
it, you know, if I write down like, oh, you know, I have, a, I'm in grad school and I have a family and we have a daughter and my wife doesn't work and all this stuff, you know, I can make a really good case that I need loans to live. Uh, when maybe if I didn't have loans available to me, maybe my wife would have worked or maybe I would have put off grad school after saving for a few years or something like that. So there's a moral hazard. There's changes in behavior that happen because student loan forgiveness is a possibility. Yeah, and to expand on that just a bit, the, the problem of moral hazard is if you don't anticipate it, what you think is going to happen when we forgive loans is going to look much different when we have double the college students all of a sudden coming in, ramping up college student loans, staying in school for a year or two and finding that it's not for them. And now we've just got this dark, yeah. deep hole of, of student loans and being forgiven and, and more problems in society than keeping people productive that maybe they would have chose to learn a trade of welding or something. And uh, there's plenty of low, no skill work with uh, Amazon and, and uh, other places that are paying 20 plus an hour now. Yeah. And the, they the, would have chose that maybe if they wouldn't have known that their loans would be ultimately. And, and this is a problem, whether or not the loans are forgiven, right? Even if loans aren't forgiven, if people are going into college thinking there's a chance that these will be forgiven, right. uh, they're operating off wrong information. So no matter what happens, the possibility of loan forgiveness distorts things. Another issue with loan forgiveness is that it tends to be what economists call regressive. That is, if you look at the statistics, if you look at the numbers, there should be no surprise that people who go to college and get student loans tend to be the people who are already like anywhere from middle class to rich, especially rich people, upper middle class to rich people go to college. And so when you look at who benefits from forgiving student loans, it tends to be the upper class. Now, normally, when we're having this conversation, we think, oh, what about these poor people who can't pay back their student loans and, you know, they're so destitute? Most of these people, actually, if you look at the numbers, aren't, aren't poor people in a literal sense. They, they tend to be upper middle class or rich. And they had some good grants, that, free yeah, money when yeah, they that, went to college. That, that's in, right. In, in a lot of those cases. And, and so what ends up happening is if you look at how the taxes would fall, whether it's from sales tax or income taxes or whatever, it tends to be that poor people are going to be subsidizing the education of people who are go, getting out of college with degrees and had the money to go to college in the first place and end up being richer. Yeah. Justin, I think you had something on this? A couple things. First sure. of all, the argument that like, well, these people can't pay their student loan debts. If that were really a good argument, that would be an argument against college, period, right? Mm -hmm. That college didn't allow you to do the things that it's claiming that it's allowing you to do, right? Right. Um, and we know that this yeah, does happen in some cases, cases yeah. right? But the fact is that the vast majority of people can pay their student loan debts. Yeah. And that's why we do think that going to college is a good idea. Not, and secondly, you're right that it is regressive in the sense that the people who do accumulate student loan debts typically tend to be middle to upper class, right? Mm -hmm. But it's even worse than that. It's even internally regressive. That is, of the people who take student loan debts, the average person who graduates with student loan debt, the average student loan debt at graduation is estimated at 31000 right? So that gets, let's assume full forgiveness, that gets evaporated, right? And that might be, you know, the average student who says, you know, I got a degree in X, whatever. What do we think the average student debt is for someone who goes to law school? It's $165,000. <laughs> and the average student loan debt for someone who gets out of medical school is $200,000. Now, if you look at the way lawyers and doctors are paid. Mm, that's uh, true about internally regressive. <laughs> it is even internally regressive. That is of the people who are getting forgiven, it forgives the already well-off 
more than it forgives the people who are less well off, even of the people that it forgives, right? It forgives more people who are well off than the people who aren't well off by definition. And it forgives more of the people that are the most well off of those people that it is forgiving. You know, when you look around, you don't see destitute lawyers. You know that, Justin, it's really interesting that you bring that up because it, 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 believe it or not, it actually gets even worse from a regressive perspective then. One of the things that Gary Becker is econ Nobel laureate, and he wrote a book called Human Capital. And one of the big observations of his model in human capital is that if you have to train workers at your expense, you have to pay them less money. Like this is one of the, the big outs in human capital, one of the big things that Becker's model discovers. And that makes sense. If you're paying some, if you're training someone to make them better at your expense, you're increasing their wages in the future. So you have to dock them today. Mm-hmm. If it's the case that this training is being outsourced to colleges for free on the taxpayer's dollar, actually, uh, what happens is these big companies, instead of having to pay people more for not training them, they get to pay people more and not have to do the training itself. So actually, this is helpful to law firms. This is helpful to hospitals. uh, This is helpful to uh, a lot of big industries. There are actually a lot of people who serve to benefit from their employees having basically free training. And Peter, it's even worse than that. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and so the, the regressive nature is another, and we can come back to that if we want. The last comment that I'll, I'll make on this is that besides just, you know, moral hazard and this idea of unfairness, and Russ brought up other unfairness concerns too, these are issues, but there's also just some general economic issues. One of the things that economists are most afraid of when a policy is proposed is that it's going to distort what's called relative prices. In other words, yeah. If a tax can encourage behavior or subsidy can encourage behavior that otherwise wouldn't be encouraged or discouraged oftentimes in the case of a tax, then what it's doing is it's causing people to move away what would otherwise be the best thing and move towards something that is the best thing because we're making more money for it from a government policy. And so in other words, it makes things a little less, uh, some people would use the word efficient. And so, for example, if you as a government agent or as a a government policy, we passed a law that said if you dig holes in your backyard, we'll pay you for five dollars an hour. More people are going to dig holes in their backyard. Uh, But that's not, you know, necessarily or we'll say fifty dollars an hour. That's a more realistic number. Uh, But that's not necessarily productive. It's just what our policy has incentivized. And so lots of weird incentives come about from student loan forgiveness. Uh, First off is you can imagine a person who's on the edge between maybe becoming a truck driver and truck drivers, you know, out of high school can actually make a pretty decent amount, close to six figures nowadays if you go through the training and everything. So maybe someone's on the fence between going to be a truck driver or going to college and making a little bit more, maybe 120,000 a year, we'll say, but then having to pay back student loans. Under normal circumstances, this person might say that extra $20,000 a year is just not worth the loans I'm going to have to take out, especially since I can't discharge the debt. I don't want to take on this risk. And so I'm just going to become a truck driver. That's the better thing for me to do. If this student believes their loan will be, or if this person believes their loans will be forgiven, then suddenly they might decide to go to college instead. And so even though they thought the more prudent decision was to become a truck driver, because of loan forgiveness, now they think maybe the, the better decision for them is to go to college and get some sort of degree. And so it's perverting the incentives of people making the decision to go to college. Similar to the moral hazard, but a little bit different because now we're not just talking about choosing to go to college or not. We're talking about moving from one profession to another. And so it's changing the supply and the demand in different markets. 
The second is that we have already in place sort of a, a weird system of loan forgiveness. It's called the public student loan forgiveness option. And what the public student loan forgiveness option, this is part of Biden's administration is trying to tout that he's forgiving loans because the current non-payments on loans actually count towards public student loan forgiveness. The idea behind public student loan forgiveness is if you work in a nonprofit or in a government industry for 10 years after you graduate from college and you make consistent payments on these loans and you make under a certain income threshold while working that job, you can get your loans forgiven. And so the idea is, well, certain people, based on how they work, can get their loans forgiven. Just yes. real quick, the consistent payments, don't you only have to like cover the interest on that? It depends on your income. Okay. Some people, yes, are only covering the interest. Some people are paying more. The, as long as you qualify for what's called income-based repayment plans, you're allowed to do this in a way that benefits you ultimately. Okay. But notice this creates all sorts of problems. First, it incentivizes people to work in weird industries. And so uh, you know, maybe a, an econ PhD who graduates goes to a university that's nonprofit rather than the private sector. Uh, present company uh, excluded. That's not why I made my decision. But there's there's other issues with this too, which is, and this is an issue that I am myself a living example of, is when you have like potential forgiveness on the line, uh, when I'm making decisions each month, do I want to pay extra into my mortgage or pay extra towards my student right. loans right now? I pay towards my mortgage. Why? Because I know my mortgage isn't getting forgiven, right? <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen. And not only, yet. Only, not, not only is my mortgage not getting forgiven, my student loans are kind of being forgiven a little bit right now. That's why Joe Biden's making the claim that he is. Because I'm not paying anything every month and because the interest is, is being taken care of for me, I, I make the mortgage payments rather than the student loan payments. And my mortgage interest rate, well, I, I won't, I, I guess I could say it's 3%. Yeah, there's nothing private about having a 3% mortgage rate. My student loan interest rate is higher. And so normally it would make sense for me to pay down the high interest rate things. But because of the weird incentives, I'm paying down the low interest rate thing. This is a bad incentive system. So lots of ways that it perverts the market. Yeah, I want to, another perversion has already been done. And that's through the federal government doing what they do with the subsidizing of these loans and making yeah. it easy to do. So tuition rates... Tuition inflation has been, I just looked it up here, 8%, I've heard up to 10, but always higher than the good old days when we had 2 to 3% inflation in the United States. Tuition has always been higher. Same thing in healthcare. And it's that distortion because we've got these higher demand than what is real because of the distorting effects of the subsidies. And so we have administrators figuring out ways to have pay for things with always more students coming in the door. And so why is tuition, why would, why would a university have a different circumstances than a business somewhere else? Part of it's due to the government's involvement in student loans. And by now adding forgiveness on top of that, it's only going to accelerate that even higher. One of the things that administrators love to pay for is administrators. That's right. Yeah. And you can also look at the benefits that college undergraduates enjoy today compared to like 30 years ago and see that, well, it turns out that college looks a lot like a very fun kind of theme park now um, for <laughs> a couple of years for students. Yeah. And one of the things that people propose is we should make college education free like it is in a lot of countries in Europe. And I, what I don't think they realize is that 
college looks a lot different in those countries. Yep. It looks just like community college, yep. right? Where, you know, you show up, you go to class, there is no, uh, you know, no activities. There's no super cool meal plan with, you know, omelets to order or whatever. Is that right? I guess I didn't, I never really thought about that, that how it looks different. Yeah. Uh, college in Europe looks a lot more like community college does in the United yeah. States. Suitcase type colleges. You go, go back to your house. No big fun pool with, you know, a <laughs> rock wall. Yeah. <laughs> residential. It was very little like residential areas, right. that kind of thing. Because the state knows that it's paying for it. And right now the state is looking to what? Forgive I think if the state actually takes over paying for colleges, you would have to, I think the college experience would look different. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, part of it would be that it would look more like, I hate to say it, K through 12 education <laughs> of here's the building and here's the, you know, we do things very processing plant way where at least we have some freedoms within the university structure. Uh, another feature that might disappear. Yeah, another feature too that it would probably look like that uh, again other foreign countries, you know, China actually very similar. Colleges usually provided to students and what it looks like to deal with uh, the competition for students is most people don't get to go to college or if you do get to go to college there's like a very limited set of fields that you're allowed to go into based on your standardized tests. Mm -hmm. You don't get to go to, you know, most schools and do whatever major you want in a lot of countries where college is provided by the government. Uh, because there's always going to be competition for spots. There's only a limited amount of resources that we have to give people college education. And so if you don't have price competition, you're going to have non-price competition, which means a lot of people who can't test into certain things, maybe, you know, the old bad test taker meme, those people might just not be able to go to college. Go ahead, Justin. And I don't think this actually matters to many of our listeners. It might, but I would, you know, if you pay for something, you're going to end up being in charge of it. And I would suspect that um, in the same way that there are much stricter curriculum standards for K through 12 public education, you should expect to find that uh, happening down the line too for college education, where um, individual professors have much less leeway on what they want to teach than they currently do, which is one of the benefits of being a college professor currently. Which you might, as a listener, you might actually think that this is a good thing. Colleges become more school focused, right? Oh, that sounds kind of good, actually. Colleges have less professorial doing crazy things like interpretive jazz or something. I, I don't know what people are bothered by. So this might sound really good for a second, but then you have to remember, well, who is making the calls then if it's not the professors? Oh, it's the governments. And so we're not talking about replacing college with this ultra efficient model of businessmen deciding, you know, when the costs and the benefits are equal. We're talking about replacing the current bureaucracy, which has its dysfunction, certainly, with the government bureaucracy. But it's which a I'm decentralized yeah, bureaucracy exactly. with a centralized bureaucracy. Yeah, b believe it or not, you know, if there's anybody that you could trust less than academics to, to manage colleges, I, I would put government <laughs> right up there. So yeah, you go from some interpretive jazz to all interpretive <laughs> jazz, Peter. That's right. That's right. And uh, likely, by the way, if you're really concerned about unfair admission standards, maybe people being treated differently because of their different backgrounds, if that's one of your concerns, I imagine that goes a lot up in the system as well. You know, Harvard not evaluating people just based on their test scores. I don't think that decreases with the government intervention. I actually think it probably increases with, with governments making the decisions. So, One thing that I think is interesting is that this is an issue now when it kind of hasn't been in the past. So I think there are very interesting demographic issues that Peter touched on earlier about like 
be parts of Joe Biden's constituency that are advocating for this um, and why that currently is. And I think we actually made some gains and I, I think I'd credit a little bit to Obama on uh, helping raise, I think there was issues that he helped raise, but of like, you better think hard about going to college. Here's some, here's some bad stuff that let's say some for-profit colleges were doing or identified some practices. And I, I think it kind of helped with the identification of don't just go into college without thinking about it. I think there was better awareness of college student loan debt. And some, some of that has actually improved over the last 10 years. And, and maybe started with Obama uh, relative to in the past. I, I feel like my personal finance students are more aware of or thinking about student loan debt than maybe like my generation when I we went to college. Oh, you just get a student loan debt. You got to go to college, go to college. And I think that's being questioned a little bit more in today's market. And so we've made improvements. And I think this would just be flipping the apple cart upside down. I think due to the regressive nature of this, this would not have been a policy that the Democratic Party would have touched in the 80s or 90s. Yeah, no. Just because a party that is supported by the working class, I think that you know you would have you would have had massive uh, backlash for this. But because of the way the parties have been um, resorting, especially after you know 2015 and on, we have seen that. The, the constituencies constituencies are such that Biden's getting a lot of pressure to put to push this through. Yeah, college educated teleworkers are probably Democrats more than they have been in the past, right? Yeah. One last thing that we haven't pondered that I've been thinking about is where's this money coming from, or ultimately how does it shape up, especially in today's high inflation and deficit driven stuff. So you've got students that are paying back loans, or they will be, I guess they're suspended in, in some cases, but we, let's just assume that ultimately they'd have to start paying again. If we substitute that with, let's wipe them all out, where does that money come from? We don't, we'd have to raise taxes, which that doesn't seem to happen, but we'd, at least in the short term, be creating a higher deficit and, and issuing bonds. Mm -hmm. And how would that be funded? Probably the Federal Reserve buying them <laughs> has been the latest yeah. trend. But I think that spigot's going to dry up because if the Fed is concerned with inflation, which I believe they truly are, yeah. they won't be the source of buying that new money. It'll come from outside and that'll start to raise general interest rates for the um, uh, government bonds, which will then put pressure on you know our economy not looking very good when we're having a large fraction of our uh, tax payments needing to finance the debt. I will say for the reasons that Russ just mentioned and some other reasons, I'm actually pretty uh, optimistic that this, this, won't this bad policy will not succeed, though there is a pessimistic side. The optimism comes from the fact that a lot of people have student loans, and so the benefits to forgiving student loans are really dispersed among the whole country. And will this make or break you know, a marginal voter, whether or not they think Joe Biden is going to forgive their loans? Maybe, but also maybe not, right? Because it's kind of uncertain whether or not he's actually ever going to do it. People are a little unsure. So I don't think that this policy actually creates a lot of votes for a party actually enacting it. Yeah. I don't think it generates much goodwill uh, or at least like excessive goodwill uh, over and above everything else. Uh, and that ends, uh, it's, it's expensive. It's imposing a cost on people and we'll be able to see it. Now, I will say I am a little concerned the way that student loan forgiveness is happening right now I think is by targeting it towards specific groups that benefit. And so again, what public student loan forgiveness, the program that does exist is, is let's forgive people who are working in the government and nonprofit. 
-hmm. Well, that's a more concentrated group of people who I imagine are by and large Democrats, right? And so there's a reason that Joe Biden, I think, is so supportive of this public student loan forgiveness thing. Uh, it's because a lot of his constituents, though not all, it's not totally dispersed, a lot of his constituents work in nonprofits and for the government. I'd say mostly the government is what I'm referring to here. So that there might still be loan forgiveness based on political affiliation. And of course, they'll never say that out loud. No one would ever say that out loud. But I wouldn't be surprised if Democrats start trying to target industries where lots of Democratic voters are and trying or to figure the, those the compromise could be right now if you work for them for 10 years, but we're going to shorten that to five. Let's yes. just compromise. Yeah, we can't do the whole thing. But or more, more people let's, qualify let's for income based repayments that yeah. allow you to or and this could come from conservatives. No one has brought it up yet, but a Republican version of this would look like if you go to trade school, we'll forgive your loans. This is another way that loan forgiveness could be brought in without making it for the entire country. I think that's the more likely route. Justin. Yeah. So those are attempts, though, to reward people that are already on your team rather than yes get people on your team who aren't that's that's fair and yeah yeah that was that yeah was my point yeah. yeah well i think it's certain that in a two to three percent inflation environment they have they would have a lot better chance of getting this passed but i really think the general public is now understanding of where did eight percent inflation come from well it might have been covid but it was also the government's response to handling covid and then now uh, we sprinkle the Russia-Ukraine conflict into it and try to point fingers. But ultimately, I think it's starting to become cultural, social knowledge that yeah. this is part of deficit finance <laughs> and, 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 and giving away too many things. I know we're at our time and we have to stop, but Russ, you reminded me of like a very revealing comment. This kind of went viral a few weeks ago by, I think it was Ezra Klein. Uh, a journalist who basically asked Larry Summers, he said, finally, with this COVID relief, we were getting towards this world where we were finally helping poor people uh, and we were really making things fair for everyone. And why did inflation have to come and ruin this? Why can't we stop this? And I've seen like TikToks this, like, why don't we just make inflation not happen? Why don't we just prevent it? Uh, unfortunately, economic reality remains economic reality. You cannot wish this away. People don't like this, but I agree with you, Russ, that they, people are starting to open their eyes and be like, oh my gosh, maybe we do not control the economy. <laughs> like maybe the economy exists maybe, absence our maybe control. Maybe these economists had something here that yeah. are economic laws. Well, I wouldn't even say the economists because I think the economists <laughs> were at true. the forefront. They, of they were at the forefront this of the This is territory again. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, why, why does the territory have to be like a deer? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so... All right. Well, that's uh, that's a good place to wrap. Uh, this has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Alwood University. I'd like to thank you all for listening and please pass it along to others that can be coming in the form of a five-star rating or just emails out to friends and family. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.